Our Old Testament lesson, the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 96, verses 1 through 13, be found on page 592 of the Church Bible. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy is of praise. He is, of the fe- he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of, of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established, it cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. Here ends the reading. Our epistle lesson be found on 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, chapters 1 through 10. I mean verses 1 through 10. Be found on page 1169 of the Church Bible. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. In the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Thanksgiving for the Thessalonians' faith. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and and Father your work produced by faith your labor prompt by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he, has, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with the words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, and you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a a model for all of the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message sang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you are, have turned to God, how you have t- 
turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Here is the reading. Our gospel lesson is the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 15 through 22, be found on page 979 of the Church Bible. In respect to the gospel, please stand. Paying the imperial tax to Caesar. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples uh, to him along with the uh, Her- Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to, to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing uh, their, their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, Whose image is on this and whose inscription? Well, Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. Here ends the reading. You know, it really was a a clever attempt to get rid of Jesus that Tuesday of Holy Week. Previous attempts by these religious leaders had all failed. In fact, Uh, they were the ones who were discredited every time they tried to challenge Jesus. But today was going to be different, so they thought. Two opposing groups ganged up together, disciples of the Pharisees, who uh, hated the Romans, the Roman occupation, and then also, on the other hand, some Herodians, uh, Jews who supported King Herod's uh, puppet king and rule that, that uh, were in, in front of the, the Jews here at this time. They put aside their partisanship for a moment and came up with what they thought was a, a successful plan. They faked an argument on whether or not it was right to pay uh, what the Jews considered to be an unfair poll tax to the Romans. And then they came to Jesus for arbitration. They set the stage pretty well, hypocritically praising Jesus for his wisdom and, and fairness, and then they very politely sprung the trap. What's your opinion, Jesus? It was an apparent no-win situation. Saying it was right to pay the tax would have made Jesus unpopular with the crowds, but saying that it wasn't right would also make him a a political rebel and place him in legal jeopardy with the Romans. And no matter what his answer would be, you can be sure 
that it would be well publicized. You know, it's noteworthy that many of the sayings of Jesus were spoken in the, in the midst of controversy, sometimes even outright hostility. What Jesus says here not only got him out of a catch-22 and got those Pharisees mumbling to themselves again, but his words apply to us as well in a very practical way. They teach us about the controversy, if you will, the controversy of giving or rendering, as one of the translations has it, render to Caesar, Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And in that, that simple and often repeated phrase is deep wisdom for us to contemplate as we, as we learn and grow in the art of rendering. It's no secret that Jesus often talked about money, especially our attitude toward money. And here again, he shows us that money is not to be avoided or despised. It's to be used, to be rendered to those to whom it is due. You see, the ability of God's people to give, therefore, comes about, first of all, when we see it as an obligation. Jesus says, do it. Give. And the, the full import of that word here is to give back, to render. Give to Caesar. Give back to God. You see, as Christians, we live in two kingdoms, an earthly one and a heavenly one. Each one bestows on us rights, privileges, freedoms, and responsibilities. And for our part, we pledge our allegiance to both, to God, as you can see by the, the, the church flag there, and, and country, to church and state from Boy Scouts to war veterans and every loyal American in between, we take great pride in, in dedicating our allegiance to God and country. We may have our complaints from time to time, but without God and country and the government that controls country, we don't exist. It's been said that even a bad government is better than no government at all. And when you consider the government that was in charge when Jesus spoke these words, in the minds of many, many people, a very efficient government, but none of us would vote for Caesar. Certainly not a good government. Our citizenship, both in America and in God's family, obligates us then to give back to them what is already theirs, honor, obedience, our very lives when called upon. And as Jesus reminds us here, also our money. And I might add, it is, it is precisely those who are, are citizens in both kingdoms, in both realms, those who are Americans and are Christians, those who are followers of Jesus, who should best do this rendering. The best citizen honors his country because he worships the true God, the one who has 
established that government. But I'm afraid that when it comes to, to doing this rendering to Caesar and to God, even be Christians, like the Pharisees are not always so dedicated. God and country, maybe sounds nice, might make the, a nice title for an award that the Boy Scouts give out, but providing for God and country, rendering to them taxes and, and offerings, that doesn't always sound so nice. I mean, taxes and offerings are on most people's list of things to avoid, or at least to minimize. Don't give back any more than you have to, we say. No more than last year, if you can help it. Enough to get by. Now, I'm not advocating here that we should pay more tax than we owe, but Jesus today, I think, obligates us to put our money where our mouth is saying the Pledge of Allegiance, but then avoiding or grumbling about taxes, don't go hand in hand. And neither does confessing our faith in God, the, the owner and the giver of all, and then withholding from him the first fruits, the best of all that he's given to us. And we recognize that we're obligated to give back to, to country, to government, it's due. The image and inscription on every coin and greenback proves, proves that money belongs not to us, but, but to the government. We use it then, as I mentioned to the children, we use it as a privilege. In our economy, we earn it, we trade with it, we, we save it, we invest it, but let the government no longer stand behind it and our money becomes worthless paper and metal. Now, we may have difference of opinion about how large or small government should be or how much or little tax we should have to pay, but make no mistake, government is, as Paul reminds us in Romans 13, government is God's servant, his representative, deserving, as Luther tells us in the fourth commandment, deserving of the same honor and obedience as father and mother. And as such, Jesus obligates us to give back to Caesar what we owe. Now you and I, as Christians, further recognize that behind all government stands the God who made heaven and earth and everything in it. Without his sustaining hand, we all die. In that creation last year here in America. We spent billions of dollars on sporting events and entertainment, billions on beauty aids, gambling, alcohol, and drug consumption. Talk about allegiance. We have to ask, where is ours? Jesus obligates us to give back to God what is God's. Certainly obligation can't be the, the only reason that we give back to God what we owe him. Rendering because we have to makes Christians dull people. 
God doesn't want that. Paul says God loves a cheerful giver. Implied in these words of Jesus then is the truth that God first gave us what we have by his grace. We deserve none of it. But nonetheless, it's ours to enjoy and in thankfulness to give back. And maybe that's the biggest difference between taxes and offerings. Taxes, you, you got to render. Offerings, you get to render. Our offerings are not dues. There's no tax code that dictates what you must pay back to God. I mean, God gives even when we're stingy, even when we neglect him altogether. The art of giving, not the compulsion of giving, but the art of giving to God can only be developed then through joyful thanksgiving. Seeing our very existence as a gift of God's grace puts a whole new perspective then on our attitude toward rendering. You know, when a baby is born with some physical handicap or deformity, parents might be tempted to ask, why did God do this to us? Think about that, though. When a baby is born perfectly formed in all of its parts, shouldn't they then ask, why did God do this? to us. Originally, God had no model. He could have made people without eyes, without speech, or with limited intelligence like the other animals. No, in love and grace, he made us fully formed the way we are. Furthermore, Isaiah the prophet in the Old Testament writes, this is what the Lord says, he who created you and formed you, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. In just three days from his encounter with the Pharisees and the Herodians that Tuesday, our Lord Jesus would appear to be trapped for good, hanging on a cross to die, finally disposed of, so some thought. But we know that in that dying, he was giving us back to God, rendering the price with his blood to get us back, redeeming us, and thereby saving us from the, the guilt and the punishment of our sin. God has redeemed all people in Christ. He has forgiven all of our sins, and he is now offering to all the riches of an eternal life with him. Talk about grace. On our American monetary currency are inscribed the words, In God we trust. Ironic, isn't it? that the almighty dollar in which so many are tempted to trust for all good things, even us at times, that on that dollar, on the very face of it, we should be reminded where true contentment and security are to be found. 
not in houses and property, in bank or investment accounts, or in the hope of some future inheritance, but in day-to-day -day trust. God is our best, our greatest financial asset. On the Roman coin, Jesus displayed to his adversaries that Tuesday was the image and the inscription of Tiberius Caesar. To him, representative as he is to all of God's temporal authorities, to him we pledge our allegiance, as well as our taxes. Whether Democrat or Republican, we render to Caesar the proportion of our income that is his thankful for all that he has done and continues to do for us. On us, for whom Christ died, and who has personally called us and privileged us to believe it, on us the image of God is being stamped with the inscription, you are mine, and I have plans for you. He who created us in his image, is even now restoring and perfecting that holy image in us day by day. With thankful hearts, then, can we do any less than return to him that love, pledge to him our allegiance, surrender to him our very lives, and then intentionally plan or dare I say it, pledge to give back to him proportionally of what already belongs to him. May the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord move us all then to render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Amen. We rise.